0: look at it and to learn from it. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would indeed speak to us by your Spirit and through this part of your Word. I pray that you'll teach us more about the Lord Jesus and what He desires of us, that we might please Him and that we might walk closely with Him. We pray this in His name. And everybody said, "Um, excuse me for looking around but this thing at the back is different to the thing on the side and just that a Throws you out every now and again. Um, I was converted way back in the 1970s. And when I went to a church, when I finished theological training, which was in the 1980s, then I went to a, a church, San Susie, doesn't matter where, that's on Botany Bay in Sydney. And when I got there, they we had elders and one of the elders in the church gave me a book called The Gospel Blimp. The Gospel Blimp. Now, I'm not expecting anybody in the room tonight to know about it or to have read it or heard of it, it was later turned into a movie but just to find out, is anybody familiar with the Gospel blimp? Oh look, two other really old people, no, (laughs) David and Rod. The Gospel blimp is a satire upon um, the way we do evangelism and the story sets about to tell this uh, imaginary story about a, uh, a group of Christians, probably leaders, deacons in a church in a small country town somewhere in the United States, and they get together, and their desire is to figure out how can we reach our neighbours with the gospel. How can we tell them? And while they're gathered together in, a, in the backyard having a barbecue or something, then overhead flies this large blimp. You know what a blimp is? Yes. Anybody not know what a blimp is? Okay, turn to the person on your left, on your right, and you tell them what you think a blimp is. <clears throat> Okay, that's enough, now we all know. <laughs> Maybe. <clears throat> Large inflated balloon that's motorised and has advertising on the side of it. Who said that? Nobody, okay. Um, they got together and overhead went a blimp and one of them suggested, hey, why don't we get a blimp and use the blimp and put like the gospel on the blimp? And they thought it was a brilliant idea and so they started strategizing about that and uh, story develops that um, to purchase this blimp they actually needed to have a hangar where they could put it and so they have to buy land so there's all this fundraising that goes on uh, all for the purpose of the gospel and so they devote all of their attention away from ministry and in fact into raising funds to buy the land to build a hangar, to put the blimp in which they buy and then the guy who thought of this actually then has to leave his job and to take on this new activity full-time And then he in turn has to hire somebody to do public relations and so he becomes like the CEO and they have a uniform and uh, he's not spending a lot of time at home with his wife because he's devoted to this very good cause of the Gospel blimp. And uh, um, uh, he started dropping church activities and um, uh, investing fully into this and eventually it all comes together and the blimp uh, gets up and they sail and their strategy is not just to advertise on the side of the blimp but they'd bought all these gospel tracks, and they wrapped them in um, cellophane, waterproofing, and they just flew over the city of the town where they were, and they dropped thousands of these things just upon everybody, which irritated the non-Christians because it's like littering in their backyard. It's all over the place. It's like when you go to the car park and some clown goes around and they put advertising on your windscreen. Don't you just love that? (laughs) I can't stand it. We, no, we don't want to do that as a church. That's not a good strategy. <clears throat> um, and then not only did they do that, that was making them annoying their neighbours enough, then they come up with the idea, well, instead of dropping gospel tracks, what we'll do is we'll buy this supersonic, this super sound system, and we'll be able to preach the gospel to them as we fly over with the... And so they do that, which just makes them obnoxious. Anyway, the company and the board that had been formed for this gospel blimp thing... One of the guys on the board eventually said, I don't think this is working. And he resigns. He leaves the board and he goes and grabs his neighbour, who's a non-Christian, and he starts going to the beach with his non-Christian neighbour every Saturday morning. And the committed Christians who were on the board and uh, committed to this thing about the Gospel blimp, they are watching him going to the beach with his beer-drinking buddy and they're concerned that he's now becoming worldly, that he's backsliding. By the end of the book, the movie, um, He, in fact, he and his wife have built a relationship with their neighbours and have led them to Christ. They've come into a saving relationship with Christ. And the people who are involved in the Gospel Blimp ministry still don't get it. It's a satire on how should we do evangelism? How do we reach people for the Lord Jesus? How do we inform them? Well, the Gospel Blimp is one way of revealing to us, this is how God works in the world. He works through relationships he works through us being real with real people he works through opening doors giving us the opportunity to have honest gospel conversations there are other ways that the lord works but this is the most usual most common way that he does it he doesn't tend to work through large mass gospel blimps those that strategy He's the God who opens doors. And in this passage in John chapter 1, we're going to be working our way through John's Gospel, a chapter a week, and our focus, our filter is going to be what our focus is, which is, what's our focus for this year? Working with God. Hmm. Thank you, Bruce Hallowell on the pastoral team who needs to get this bit right. Working with God. So what we need to learn is, well, how does God work? How can we recognise that and join Him in working with Him? Well, this passage and each chapter in John's Gospel, in fact, reveal to us how our Father works, by His Spirit, through His Son and so on. Here are six sentences, listen carefully. Number one, God wants people, God wants all people to know Jesus. Agreed? Number two, Jesus is the Saviour. In fact, Jesus is the only Saviour that we all need agreed number three we need to know Jesus before we can introduce him to others agreed number four God uses people to introduce people to Jesus agreed number five God wants to use you to bring your friends and your families to know Jesus agreed (laughs) that's the point of this passage and it obviously begins with you need to know Jesus first as we have already said God wants you to know Jesus who he is and what he does and what he has done for us as we've been reminded tonight in song but also at communion because Jesus is the only saviour and he is the saviour that we all need Now I don't have time to do it tonight but if you read through the Gospel of John, chapter 1, just chapter 1, let me encourage you to do that tonight before you go to sleep. And answer the question, what does this tell me about who Jesus is and what does this tell me about what he has done? I found 18 references. Here is my list, very quickly, and I can't stop and talk about too many of them. Um, In in verse 1, he is the eternal word, he is God himself. Jesus Christ is the living God, he's the creator. Verse 4, he is the life, he is the source of life. We live and breathe because of him, he gives life. Verse 9, he is the light, he's the one who gives us the truth. Verse 14, he became flesh. Also verse 14, he is gracious and true. Verse 18, he reveals the Father. Verse 23, he is Lord. Verse 29, he is the Lamb. Verse 33, he is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He is God the Son. The end of John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 31, tells us, John says, the author, the reason I wrote this Gospel was so that you might um, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you might have life in His name. The reason I wrote the Gospel, so that you would know who Jesus is, and so that you could live, you could have life in His name, eternal life in heaven, yes, but life here and now, a new life. A better life, a life walking with God. In this passage that Sheridan read to us, the Lord Jesus in verse 36 is the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. He's rabbi, he's the teacher, he is the one that we should be listening to and receiving his instructions and following his examples. Verse 41, he is the Messiah. Verse 45, he is the one that Moses and the prophets and all the Old Testament speaks about, the one who was predicted was it said before that there were 25,000 prophecies in the Old Testament. Did you mean 2,500? 2, 2,500, yeah. yeah. Yep. 2,500 uh, prophecies in the scriptures or thereabouts. Um, and 2,000 were fulfilled. Two, what did you say? 2,000 have been fulfilled, and Jesus fulfilled 350 of them when he was here, which leaves, quick maths, about 150 still to be fulfilled? Say yes. Yes that the Lord Jesus will in fact fulfill in his coming. We live in those times and moving towards them, more than likely, he is coming. In verse 42, Jesus is the name changer, meets Peter, Simon, for the very first time and says, hi, you're Simon, your name's going to be Peter. That indicates something about the person, the authority of Jesus. You ever met somebody for the very first time? You say, hi, my name's Daryl. And the person says to me, you will be called William. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Well, he is the one who has the authority to be able to do that. And no, don't call me William, I am Daryl. He's the name changer. In verse 47, 48, the end of that passage, it's where he's talking to Nathaniel. Nathaniel's other name, by the way, is probably Bartholomew, um, one of the 12 apostles, had two names. And Jesus clearly reveals to him, I saw you under the fig tree, I know what you were thinking and I know what you're praying. I know about you. It's remarkable who Jesus is. Verse 49 beautifully says, um, This is Nathaniel, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. He's the King. And the one that I liked, particularly in the context of what I want to say tonight, is verse 51, where Jesus is speaking to this same guy, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, and says to him, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I take that to mean, Jesus is saying, you'll see heaven open, there's a way back to God, it'll be open. And I am the bridge, angels ascending and descending upon me. He is the link between us and God. Jesus is the saviour we need and he is the only saviour we need. Ephesians 3.12 says, now because of Jesus and our faith in him, we can now come fearlessly into God's presence assured of his glad welcome. It's New Living Translation, the first edition, Ephesians 3.12. There is a way back to God and it's at the cross of the Lord Jesus. It's the only way in. So God wants us to know him, the Lord Jesus personally, because God wants us to know him and he's appointed Jesus to be the one to make the introductions. So God wants us to meet the person who's going to introduce us to the Father. That's what it's all about and that's still what God's purposes are here. Way back in the beginning of this gospel, I'll just do this, to not, this once, verses 6 to 8, reveals the heart of God. This is how God works in the world. This is what he did back then. He's still doing it. It says, verse 6 and following, there came a man who was sent from God. God sent John, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all people might believe. He himself, John was not the light, he came as a witness to the light. That's what God did then, God is so keen for people to know Jesus so that Jesus can make the introductions to him that he sent a person, excuse me, not a prophet, an ordinary bloke, John, who had a very special ministry and calling on his life and God wanted to use him to point people to Jesus, and in this passage, that's exactly what John the Baptist does. wonder if you've met Jesus. You're absolutely the most important introduction, the most important relationship you could possibly have. If you haven't met the Lord Jesus, then I'm glad you're here it's a great place to be in to discover more about him and perhaps have the opportunity to do exactly that if we went around the room because most of you have met the Lord Jesus I suspect some of you haven't but most of you have and for those of you that have it'd be wonderful if we had the chance to tell our stories to hear like Abby was sharing with us that she got to hear about Jesus through RE I wonder if that's true of any of you it wasn't true for me, I never had RE when I went to school, got it in high school, but I went to school in such a long time ago, we reached the right with chalk on slate boards, that's how old I was. Our, our primary school teacher used to have a RE book and he would read us Bible stories. Now, I don't think I would be alone. I think there would be one or two others in the room who would have... Would have do you guys have that experience? I have to look to this side because most of the older people sit on that side. There are some renegades, I'm sure, who are trying to infiltrate over here. But you push them back over their side. That was New South Wales, and that's how it used to be. Um, but I, you might have come to know Jesus, and you have Christian parents. What a great blessing you've had. Um, assuming they have been good Christian parents. Some people have Christian parents, but they suck as parents. They're terrible parents. <coughs> well that's the truth isn't it it is Um, I don't have to talk about any of you people because I know this is not true for anybody in Sunnybank I'm lying but I've told you before about a person who used to be a close friend of mine and he used to be a deacon in a church and he used to be a Sunday Christian and when he got home he became the devil he didn't follow Jesus he professed Jesus he sings about Jesus but he was hypocritical Now, is he a believer? Well, I can't judge him on that. That's up to the Lord. But he certainly didn't live that way before his kids and left a terrible witness to them. You may have had a church Christian family background. I didn't. I had non-Christians. I had great parents, good parents. um, But not Christians, not believers. Um, You might have come to know Jesus, I said, through RE. Whatever your story is, however it happened for you, in this passage, there are five people who meet the Lord Jesus and in the process of meeting him, their lives are changed forever. Well, that's certainly my story. My life has been changed because I met Jesus. And it's interesting. The two disciples, verse 35. The next day John was there, and again with two of his disciples. And John, I'll come back to John in a minute, but he simply looks, sees Jesus and he just tells these guys, that's him, that's the promised one, it's the Lamb of God, the guy who takes away the sin of the world, the one who was promised to come. And the two disciples hear it, and respond to it and it's Andrew and we're not told the name of the other one but probably it's John, probably. Why probably? Well because just the way he talks about and writes about it looks like he's actually there that he's an eyewitness to this story. He talks about times of day and he talks about this day and the next day. It sounds like he's actually personally involved in it. Well Andrew and John begin their relationship with Jesus by trusting him as the Lamb of God that's where it begins for all of us, that's certainly where it began for me and I'm fortunate in that I have a black and white testimony, I have a point where I am clearly not a believer and I came to a point in my life and I can give you the day January 15th 1973 when I became a Christian because it was clear-cut for me as simple and as black and white as that, my kids can't do that because they had the blessing of having Christian parents, my wife Rhonda and I and We were pretty good parents, at least we live consistently. And so for them, there was never a time in their life when Jesus wasn't there. They grew up surrounded by the truth of the Lord Jesus. And so they just sort of grew into the kingdom. Now, theologically, at some point, they have to transition. There has to be a point of repentance and commitment. And there probably was on numerous occasions for them in their journey just like it is for us as we continue to move forward as well. Andrew and John begin with trusting Jesus as the Lamb of God who will take away their sins. Notice, if you think about it, Andrew and John already had a Jewish background, they'd already attended synagogue, they already had some knowledge, they'd already come to the point of, um, gee, we haven't got our act together and they're disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, They'd respond to the message of repentance and baptism. They're aware of their sinfulness and so... They come to the Lord Jesus and he asks them, what do you seek? That's always a good question. Some people seek the Lord Jesus but not for salvation, they seek him for other reasons. I'm coming to Jesus because I want him to fix up my marriage, I'm coming to Jesus because I want to be healthy, wealthy and wise. I'm coming to Jesus for, I want to have good social image before my employer or whatever. What do you seek? And their response is likewise strange, it's where are you staying? It's a little bit like uh, we really want to spend some time talking to you and if you're busy, you know, it's we'll come visit you later. It's, it, has, it could have that sort of connotation to it. It could be 10 o'clock in the morning and say so Jesus may have been busy. But he says, he invites them, come. Let's come and have a talk. Come and sing. That's how God works, processes. Bringing people along in their spiritual journey until they come to the point of encountering Jesus. And then, of course... After spending that day with him and having come to the realisation of who he is and probably accepting that, Andrew and John, Andrew, we are told, goes off and finds his brother. John probably did too, went and found James. But we are told that Andrew went and found Peter, verse 41 and 42. Second point, when you meet Jesus, you don't only begin with him as the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. But when you meet Jesus, you will also meet someone who will change you. He will not leave you the way that you are. It's a process. Sometimes it's rapid, it can be instant. But for most of us, it's going to be a process of slow sanctification, of us learning to grow more like him. We sang a beautiful song this morning, um, and you'll know it. It's got this chorus or refrain in it. uh, He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me when I call the Lord Jesus knows you and he loves you and cares for you. He died on Calvary's cross to pay the penalty for your sin because he's the only bridge. He's the one who is reaching out to you so that you can be forgiven, so that you can know God and when you encounter him he wants to change you, he wants to improve you, he wants to fix up that which is broken, he wants to correct that which is weak, he wants to Restore that which has been stolen from you, where there is a dysfunction. We begin with Jesus, Lamb of God. We move on with Jesus, who is going to change us. And we continue with Jesus, verse 43 and 44, like Philip, when he says, follow me. We continue growing in the Lord Jesus by following him. It's as simple as that. We deny ourselves and our own plans. We obey his commands. We respond to his directions. Every morning, every morning, we report for duty. He's the Lord, we're the servant, we're available. God works through people. Look what he did through John the Baptist. John the Baptist God sent into the world and in the process um, to point to the Lord Jesus and he came, when he baptised Jesus, then he realised, you're the one and then after that he starts pointing others to him. Note this, John the Baptist pointed his disciples to Jesus not to himself that's our job point people to jesus not to us we want them to learn about him and follow him not to be linked with us and to be impressed with us john did it secondly on repeated occasions in verse 29 and in verse 36 he says to his disciples behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world i think that's interesting he said it twice first time Didn't hear it, didn't get it, whatever. Second time, oh, it made sense. So studies show that people often need to hear the gospel on numerous occasions, up to seven times, before they get it. That's certainly true for me. I know from um, October, November 1972 until January 15th, I read the gospel tracts, I read it and read it and read it and read it until on January 15th it went... Oh, I get it. So too for us, when we're talking to people, don't become despondent, continue to tell them and repeat it and give them as many opportunities as, as what they are required. Number three, notice that it's when John exalted the Lord Jesus that the disciples um, were drawn to him. I think that's a good insight. And the other exciting thing I found out when I th- thought about it with John the Baptist was, you never know when, where you are as a link in the chain. John the Baptist starts it and he points his disciples to it and you've got then Andrew and John going and then Andrew finds Peter and then Peter goes on to preach at the Pentecost and 3,000 people become believers. There is this incredible link in the chain. You never know whom God will bring to know Jesus through you, who might be incredibly significant in the kingdom of God. You've probably never heard of him but his name was Edward Kimball. And he was the man who went to a shoe store one day in Chicago to introduce a man by the name of D.L. Moody, his Sunday school teacher, to introduce him to Jesus. And Moody went on to be one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century. So too it was a Methodist lay preacher that led Spurgeon to Christ. I went to go look for it but didn't get time. Who was the person who led Billy Graham to Christ? A long time ago, 15, 20 years ago, I read this sort of family chain of what God had done through significant people and I can't find it now. But this person, like D.L. Moody, led someone like R.A. Torrey and forgive me, you, if you know the names then terrific and if you don't then these are outstanding, significant Christians in their time. D.L. Moody leads R.A. Torrey who leads um, Smith, uh, the gypsy guy. Thank you. No, not Smith Wigglesworth. Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith, who was an ex baseball player to Christ. And Gypsy Smith led someone like Billy Graham, and Billy Graham led somebody else like. There's this link, this chain of significant Christians whom God has used powerfully. You never know. You teach RE in school, and a kid hears the gospel for the first time, grows up and follows Jesus, and goes forth, and God uses significantly. And you know what I think? I think it's like, you get kickback. You get 1% of the reward that that person's getting. I wonder if it works like that. in Yeah, that'll do. God extends the kingdom reign of the Lord Jesus through people, through conversations. That's exactly how he did it here. Through John saying, that's Jesus. They followed him, they spoke to Jesus, they go and tell their brother, uh, they go and tell their friend Nathaniel. That's how God does it. That's how he did it in my life. It's probably how he did it in yours. There are other ways, but it's the most common way. So, what have we said? Two things. One, God wants you to know Jesus and to receive him. That's number one. If that's true for you, then God wants to use you and work through you in your relationships, in your family, in your friends, in your social networks, wherever you are. He wants you to be a witness for him. I've been going to, the, we've been going to the same butcher now for, I don't know, several years and it's good meat and we like them and so now I know them on a first name basis and we get talking every now and again. So they know I'm a pastor, they know I'm a pastor here so when it comes Easter or like it's Christmas or something they're always saying something. They're not interested at all. They asked me the other day how I was going and then I said, you know, I was good and they said, yeah, but you get paid to be good, don't you? Cheeky, aren't they? But they know. And I'm just praying, waiting for the opportunity. One day there'll just be an opportunity to invite, an opportunity to have a chat. Something will happen in their life that they will want to. Got a question for you? It's how God works in multitudes of ways. So let me encourage you if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, make a list. Make a list of the people who are regular contacts for you who don't know Jesus. Make a hit list. Family, friends, colleagues, schoolmates, others. Where you go, fill up the car. Go to the same petrol station. I go to the Shell down the road here most of the time. And I usually do it on a Sunday night. And usually there's a lady. I don't know her name yet. But she loves me. (laughs) She's very friendly. She can be very grumpy. With, with other people. She hasn't been grumpy with me yet. Jesus cares about her. I wonder how many other Christians visit that petrol station. I wonder how many other people. God's got on her case. God's after her. Or the post office or the shops or wherever you go. Make a list. And then with your list, pray. Pray for them. If you know their name, even better. If you don't, God does. Pray for them that they'll have conviction in their heart. Pray for God to open their eyes. Pray for God to remove confusion in their thinking. Pray that God will open their hearts to receive Jesus and forgiveness. Pray for yourself. Pray that you'll be living consistently. Pray that you'll be authentic and honest. Pray for courage for when the opportunity comes. Pray that you'll have exactly the right words to be able to share the gospel. Why? Because everyone is a sinner who is separated from God. And Jesus is the only Savior that we all need. He is the only one who can bridge the gap. And He wants, God wants to use you to bridge that gap, to bring your family, your friends, your acquaintances into a saving relationship with Him. Now it's hard, but every now and again God grabs me with this because every now and again I get irritated with people. <gasps> don't you? You get one more chance, don't you? Uh uh-huh and then God not all the time but often God will check me in my spirit and remind me that God cares about that person that I am irritated with or annoyed with and particularly if they're not a Christian because I need to live in such a way that I am an attractive model to them does that make sense okay Let me finish with this. What's your biggest obstacle that keeps you from telling others about Jesus? Is it fear of what they say or think? That can be real. Is it you sense you've got a lack of Bible knowledge or they're going to ask a question that you won't be able to answer? Is that what it is? Or is there, no, I'd like to, it's just a lack of opportunities. I don't get a lot of opportunities to do this. Well, how can those obstacles be overcome very quickly? If you fear what people will say or what they'll think about you, then you need to address that in your life. You need to realise who you are in Christ and be seeking God's approval, not man's approval. That's a spiritual growth point for you. If you want help with that, then more than happy to help you. Um, What if you lack Bible knowledge or fear that I'll ask a question, have an objection that you, you will feel embarrassed by? Well, you can be equipped and trained in apologetics, in the scriptures, in evangelism. You can be equipped and trained in how to have those gospel conversations. It's not possible to know everything. But it is possible, possible to be honest and to say, gee, I don't know. I'll find out. Uh, lacking opportunities, that can be addressed and overcome by simply you praying and asking God, is it time to stop? <laughs> yeah. To make sure. Ask God for opportunities. And make sure you're clean and committed to the Lord Jesus. Finished. Jesus is the saviour we all need. God wants you personally to know Jesus. And if you don't, then tonight, come and have a chat. God wants you, if you know Jesus, to bring your friends to him in prayer and in conversations. Make a list and look for those opportunities. For God is at work in the world and he works through people having conversations with people who are in relationship with them. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are at work in our world and in our lives. We acknowledge that in your sovereignty you walk orchestrate our life's circumstances and situations, that you are the one who arranges relationships and opportunities. We know that you are passionate about all people coming to know Jesus. And I know, Lord, that you want to use us as followers of Jesus to introduce others to him. So, Lord, equip us, encourage us, help us to develop our list, help us to pray, open our eyes and help us to be um, cooperating with you, working with you, achieving your purposes, that the kingdom of Jesus might expand. We ask this in his name. And everybody said...